Good morning, church. Um, wish I could be with you in person today. I'm disappointed that we have to meet online again. I was hoping to never have to use my recording materials again for, for church, but God had other plans. And so it's great to be with you online today. Today we're continuing our journey through the Bible and we are looking at Leviticus chapter 16. Leviticus chapter 16. And as you just listened to this passage being read, you may have thought this is a long, complex, and weird passage, and I have no idea what it has to do with my life today. But when you look down, when you slow down and look at this passage closely, it's actually a passage that addresses the deepest desires of our hearts. Let me ask you, when you daydream, what are the things that you desire? Do you want a nice holiday at the beach? Do you desire a retirement account filled with millions of dollars? Maybe just 10 minutes of peace and quiet in the morning where the kids don't bother you so you can enjoy a cup of coffee before heading to work. Or when you lie in bed at night and you're awake and you can't sleep because you're too excited or too stressed and afraid, what are the things that keep you awake? Is it this hope that everything will go well when you make your big work presentation tomorrow? Is it the hope that you and your family can avoid testing positive for COVID or having to be quarantined? Is it a fear that your boss will be disappointed with your performance? Or a fear that the other moms at the park will judge your parenting style? See, all of these hopes and fears, they're echoes of a desire hardwired into us from creation for the presence and blessing of God. We are created for a relationship with God. We're created to find hope and joy and security and comfort and peace through knowing him and being in his presence. And today's passage is all about being in God's presence. See, a major conflict of the Bible, maybe the major conflict of the Bible, is that we are cut off from God. On our own power, we're incapable of getting into God's presence, which means we're cut off from having these deepest desires of our hearts fulfilled in the ways we want them fulfilled. The desires don't go away, but our ability to have them fulfilled does. And until we learn how to get them fulfilled properly, we're going to seek to fulfill them in all the wrong places. And today's passage answers the question, how do we get back to God so we can have the life we were created to have? How do we get back to God so we can have the life we were always created to have? And what we're going to see today as we look at Leviticus 16 is that God himself gives us a way to get back to him. God himself gives us a way to get back to him. We'll look at the problem of evil, the God-given solution, and God's better solution. But before we do that, let's pray. God, you're in control. That's been a tough reminder for me to get this week, but God, it's as true today as it is any day, and I pray that you would use your control and your power for our good, as you always do, that you would speak your word to us, help us to listen closely to it, to understand, to love you more because of it, and, and to trust you and obey you in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. 
All right, so first, the problem of evil. The Bible starts by teaching us that humanity is made in God's image, which is a huge topic we don't have time to get into today. But one thing it means is that we have deep desires hardwired into us that are good desires that are meant to be fulfilled in God. So the desires you have for things like affirmation, for comfort, for security, those aren't bad desires in and of themselves. They are pointers to tell you you were created to live in a world where you can find all of these things. C.S. Lewis talks about this. He says, if I find in myself a desire that cannot be fulfilled in this world, it's an, it's an indicator that I'm created for somewhere that's not this world. All of these desires are meant to be fulfilled through a relationship with God in, in a perfect world, but we don't live in that perfect world anymore. The only place we can get all of these desires truly fulfilled is in a relationship with God, but the Bible tells us we have a problem. And the problem is that we broke off the relationship with God that we were designed to have. We rebelled against his authority. We violated his trust. We treated him as worthless. And that cut us off from the relationship with him we were made to have. And because of that, our hearts, the Bible tells us, are now full of evil, which is just this deadly poison. And it taints the way that we see God, and it causes us to run from him rather than to him. And part of the consequence of this broken relationship is all these good desires that were put into us by God to be fulfilled by him. We still have these desires. We still seek to get them fulfilled, but we seek to get them fulfilled in all the wrong places. We, we crave affirmation. And we're built to get that affirmation from our Father in heaven who loves us and delights in us. But we've cut ourselves off from the relationship with him that we were meant to have. And so we act like a leech. And we cling on to people around us and try to suck all the life and affirmation out of them that we can get. But the reality is we can never keep everyone happy. There's always going to be someone who doesn't like us. And if we're looking to the people around us to satisfy our, our craving for affirmation, that one person's disapproval is going to crush us. No one's immune. It happens to all of us, even pastors. You know, I can take a good amount of criticism, but if I find out there's someone who I've really worked hard with and, and spent a lot of time with and invested in a lot, and that person just doesn't like me, that really hurts. And like on one level, it's good for it to hurt. It should hurt because I care about them and, and I care deeply about them. But if I'm honest, I let it hurt me more than it should. When I find out someone doesn't like me, I start to, to spiral. Does, and I start thinking things like, does anyone really like me? Am I a likable person? Maybe I'm not worthy of being liked. Maybe I'm just destined to die alone because I'm not a likable person. And I so quickly lose perspective and, and just let things get out of control so fast. And again, it's good and normal for their rejection to hurt. But it's not good or normal for one person's rejection to make me jump instantly to I'm going to die alone. Do you see the difference there? It's this desire that's so deep in my heart and I twist it and pervert it and try and get that affirmation I'm designed to get from God from others and when I can't get it, it crushes me. 
And seeking to get these desires of our hearts fulfilled in the wrong places, it's a problem on multiple levels. Because first, these other places were never designed to bear the full weight of our desires. They just weren't made to do that. Like, yes, a wife and children and friends, they're good gifts from God that we are supposed to enjoy, but they cannot fulfill the full weight of love that we were created to experience. They're not designed to do that. Trying to use our spouse or our children or our friends to fulfill the full weight of affirmation and love we desire in our hearts, it's like standing on a folding chair. You know, you can try it, It may feel stable and secure for a little bit, but it's not designed to be used that way. And if you do it long enough, it's going to crumble underneath you and you're going to get hurt. Nothing in this world is designed to bear the weight of the longing in our hearts. Only God can fulfill the desires of our hearts. And if we seek to get those desires fulfilled in other ways, we're going to be disappointed and hurt. The second reason that it's wrong and harmful to seek these desires in other places is that in seeking to fulfill our desires in wrong places, we're actually trying to use people and things in ways they weren't designed to be used. We end up mistreating them. We can see this clearly in the environment today. I don't know about you, I sometimes get headaches because it's so polluted here. Why is the environment such a mess? Because people are seeking money and power and success to to satisfy this craving of their souls for, for success and affirmation. And they believe that if they can get enough business success, that their souls will be satisfied. And getting business success means maximizing the bottom line. But But that happens, you maximize the bottom line most easily when you treat the planet in a way that it's not meant to be used and completely wreck the environment. This planet is not built to satisfy humanity's insatiable craving for more, more, more. And so these people, they grasp for things other than God to satisfy the desires of their hearts. And when they they reach for these things, the evil that's inside them spills out and pollutes the world around them. Literally, it it causes pollution in the world that, that makes our air a mess and gives me headaches and sinus issues. But realize as I talk about this, the problem's not just out there. They, in general, aren't the bad guys I'm talking about. I am, and you are. The problem starts in each of our own hearts. There's a Russian author, Alexander Solzhenitsyn. He says it this way, the line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties either, but right through every human heart. The line between good and evil passes right through every human heart. Even in the best of all hearts, there remains an uprooted small corner of evil, he says. The best of hearts still have evil inside them. There was once a newspaper in the UK, they posted a question and invited their readers to submit answers, and their question was, what's wrong with the world? And a Christian author named G.K. Chesterton wrote in, brilliant two-word answer, he said, I am. That's what I'm talking about here. I am the problem. You are the problem. The line separating good and evil runs right down the middle of our own hearts. And here's what this means practically. I 
seek to get things out of others and out of the world that this world and the people in it are not designed to give me. And you do the same thing. And when we do that, we, we misuse other people and we act in ways that are evil. We let the evil in our own hearts spill over and pollute the world around us with evil. Each of our hearts, it's like a cup filled with this poison that's dark colored and, and stains. And every time we get bumped, every time our heart gets bumped, that, that poison inside us just spills out and stains everything around us with toxic materials. Here's an example of what this looked like in my life this week. My eight month pregnant wife asked if I could be a bit more available to help look after our almost two-year-old son in the coming weeks as she gets closer to delivery. Now let me ask you, does that sound like a reasonable request? When I'm separated from the immediate situation and able to look at it logically, that sounds like a reasonable request. But in the moment, Rather than saying, of course, honey, I appreciate that you do so much around the house to care for me and for Judah, and I would be honored to have a greater chance to serve you in the coming weeks. I got defensive and turned her request into an argument. Now, why did I do this? It's because I rely on her hard work to help give me the freedom to satisfy my craving for comfort in life. And when she asks me to do something, uncomfortable and inconvenient. I don't just feel like it's uncomfortable and inconvenience. I feel threatened. I feel like she's trying to ruin my way of life. And again, when I hear myself saying out loud right now, I can hear how ridiculous that is. But that's the whole point. Sin, it's ridiculous. It's irrational. And yet every single day, every single one of us finds ways to justify it in our own hearts. I am the problem. I genuinely felt like something important and valuable to me was being threatened when Justine asked me to help out a little more around the house in the coming weeks because she's eight months pregnant and we have a child who's one and a half years old. And when I feel like someone is threatening me, I respond by trying to protect myself. So rather than seeing and grabbing onto an awesome opportunity to show love to my wife, I lashed out and fought with her instead. You can see how that's harmful and destructive, right? And I'm assuming you can see ways that you do that in your own life. Each of us, we have heart desires that are good, like my desire for comfort. I'm, I'm designed to find comfort in God, but I'm seeking to fulfill that desire somewhere other than God. And so that desire becomes this poison that spills out onto the people and relationships around me. And we all do this. We strive harder and harder to get the desires of our hearts fulfilled, but we're trying to get them filled in all the wrong places, which means we're moving in the wrong direction and making everything worse. We cannot get back to God on our own. We can't get the life we were created to live apart from God. We need a solution and that solution needs to come from outside ourselves. And today's passage, Leviticus 16, tells us about the God-given solution to our problem. So let's look at the God-given solution. What's the solution? Well, like we've been saying, for us to operate properly, we need to get back to God. But as we saw last week, because of the sin and evil in our hearts, being in God's presence will kill us. That's not good news. And today's passage 
gives us the answer to how to get back to God's presence. But to understand what's happening here, we need to understand where we are in the context of the Bible. We've been looking recently at Exodus. The whole book of Exodus is about God making a way for his people to get back to him. He rescues them from slavery in Egypt so they can be free to worship him. He brings them to Mount Sinai and, and he does this covenant ceremony with him, with them, where he says, I will be your God, you will be my people. They agree. And he brings Moses up on the mountain and he gives Moses instructions for building this tent called the tabernacle, which is the place where God will meet with his people in their midst. It's amazing. It's an amazing gift. It, if you read through the second half of Exodus without understanding how amazing this gift is, it's so dry and boring. But when you understand how incredible it is that God wants to come and live among his people, it's awesome, right? It's awesome. God tells them, here's what you need to do for me to live among you. And so Moses goes down the mountain and they build this tabernacle so God can live among them. And everything's great. And they get it built and Moses goes to walk into the tabernacle to be in God's presence, but there's a problem. Moses can't go into the tabernacle. They've just done all this work, they've done all this building so they can be in God's presence and then when the moment arrives, they can't access it. So what are they going to do? Well, that brings us to the book of Leviticus. That's why we have Leviticus in the Bible. Because God gives them rituals and ceremonies and commands about the proper way to come into his presence. And so God says, I want you to set aside Moses' brother Aaron and his sons, and they're going to be priests, the ones who come into God's presence on behalf of the nation. And they ordain them as priests and set them aside for this special role. And no sooner have they done this than Aaron's two oldest sons go into the core place of the temple where God's presence dwells and get struck dead. And once again, we have a problem because Aaron's supposed to be the one who goes into God's presence on behalf of the nation, but he's terrified that if he tries to do it, he will die just like his sons just did. So what are they going to do? And that's where Leviticus 16, today's passage, comes in. Because God is giving Israel instructions about this day called the Day of Atonement. Now, atonement, it's a, a big word. We don't really use it much today. It basically means to cover a debt. The Bible teaches that each of us owes a debt to God for the evil in our hearts and the way we let that evil spill over and pollute the world. And we deserve death due to God's justice. But God, he, he makes a way for our debt to be covered as he administers his justice. And, and that happens in the ceremonies on the Day of Atonement. And if you read through this passage, the Day of Atonement, the ceremony has three key elements. First, there's a death for sin. Aaron has to bring a bull and a goat and then do some other sacrifices later in the day. And, and he has to kill these animals. And the reason he has to kill these animals, he slices their throat and lets them bleed out, is because the debt we owe to God for the evil in us is death. And in this ceremony, the bull and the goat, they're killed to pay the price of sin for Aaron and the Israelites. Sin is covered and dealt with without the people dying, which is amazingly good news for them and for you and for me, that God makes a way to cover our debt without killing us. That's great. The second part of the ceremony 
is a sprinkling to purify and cleanse. So Aaron takes a bowl and collects the blood of these bulls and goats as they bleed out and die. And he takes their blood into the various parts of the temple, dips his fingers in it, and sprinkles the blood on the different parts of the tabernacle. And it includes him going into the most holy place, the central part of the tent where God's presence lives. And this blood, he sprinkles it everywhere to symbolically clean the tent. Remember, the evil in our hearts, it has polluted the world around us. If you've been following our Bible reading plan and watching the Bible Project videos that go with it, the Bible Project video on sacrifice and atonement that we watched this week compared the evil that spills out of us to vandalism. There's vandalism that pollutes the world around us and it needs to be cleaned up and the blood symbolically scrubs away the pollution that our, that our evil has caused in the world and in the tabernacle where God lives in the midst of his people. So first, there's a blood sacrifice. Second, they sprinkle the blood to cleanse and purify. And the third part of the ceremony involves what we call a scapegoat. Now, I'm guessing you've heard of a scapegoat before, right? Maybe at work, something went wrong. A project failed and someone needed to be the fall guy. So they found someone from the office to put all the blame on. Even though probably little to none of that blame was actually their fault, all the blame gets thrown on them. Everyone blames them and they get blamed for it so no one else gets blamed for it and everyone else can go free. They're called the scapegoat. This ceremony is where the word scapegoat comes from. The scapegoat's job in this ceremony was to to be the one who had all of the blame for everything that everyone else had done wrong placed on them and they took the punishment for it. So Aaron took a goat, he put his hands on top of the goat and he confessed all the sins of the people of Israel in the previous year. He obviously didn't know all the individual specifics, these were probably broad categories. But after he finished placing all the sins of the people on the head of this goat, someone took the goat and walked it out of the camp into the middle of the desert and left it there. Think what a powerful and graphic picture that would be if you were there. This all happens, this, this last part with the scapegoat all happens outside in the view of everyone. And you see all of your evil, all of your sin being placed onto this goat and then physically walked away and taken away from you. It's amazing, right? the freedom that, that this symbolizes from the evil in our hearts. And this ceremony, what it did is it, it cleaned up the tabernacle, which is God's throne room on earth. It allowed the Israelites, with all of their sin and all of their faults and all of their flaws, to live in the immediate vicinity of God throughout the year without being destroyed due to the evil in their hearts. It was an amazing gift. And it was a huge step towards humanity coming back into God's presence and having a new relationship with him, where we can once again build our lives around him and place our deepest hearts, hopes of our hearts on him. But despite how amazing this ceremony was, it was so limited. Think about it. Only one man could go into God's presence and only once per year and at the risk of his life. That's limited. That's incomplete. 
Yes, humanity has access to God, but it's super limited access. The average person like you and me, we'd still be stuck far outside when this is happening. Second, this man, he had to make a sacrifice for himself before he could make a sacrifice for others. Again and again, this passage reminds us, Aaron, before he can make a sacrifice for the nation of Israel, he has to make a sacrifice for himself because he also suffers from the same sin and evil as everyone else. And because he suffers from the same sin and evil as everyone else, he lacks the power to fix the problem of sin and evil in our hearts. Because if he had that power, he would have already used it on himself. And so this ceremony, it lacks the power to truly fix the problem of evil in our hearts. Third, this ceremony has to be repeated every single year. The New Testament book of Hebrews tells us that this is because the ceremony, the blood of bulls and goats, can never truly forgive sins. So this ceremony, it didn't actually solve the problem of sin and evil in our hearts. It was a stopgap measure to just hold things over another year, another year, another year so we don't get crushed in the meantime. And then fourth, the priest died. And so as the years go by, different people had to make sacrifices, one after another after another. There wasn't one set priest who could represent you forever before God, and you have no way of knowing whether the next guy is going to do it right. What if he messes it up? What if he ruins it for all of us? All that to say, this ceremony is a great gift. It's a huge step in the right direction of us getting back towards God, but it's clearly not enough. We need a better solution. So let's look at God's better solution. Now, if you've been at the bridge for any length of time, you may have noticed we, as part of our Sunday service, have never once killed a bull or a goat. We have eaten some bulls and maybe some goats at our church potlucks, but we let other people kill these animals for us far, far away from our church services and far, far away from where we could see what was happening. And that might cause us to ask the question, does this ceremony still have anything to do with us today? Because, I mean, we're not doing this. And the answer is, it absolutely does. No, the ceremony itself doesn't continue today, but the things that this ceremony points to, atonement, access to God, divine justice being satisfied without destroying us, these are all central truths of the Christian life. And if they're so central, why don't we do this ceremony anymore? Well, it's because when we zoom out and we look at the Bible as a whole, what we see is that this whole ceremony is actually foreshadowing something greater. The whole Day of Atonement and the ceremony that goes with it, it's foreshadowing a greater priest who would offer a greater sacrifice that would achieve a greater atonement and give greater access to God than the original Day of Atonement. And the book of Hebrews goes into amazing depth, outlining all the ways that Jesus is a better high priest for us, who brings us a better system of accessing God. I mean, think about what we just looked at in terms of the incompleteness of the Day of Atonement, and compare that to Jesus. Jesus, as the high priest who stands before God on our behalf, he was sinless. He never had to make a sacrifice for himself, which means he has power to truly defeat sin and evil once and for all. That's a huge upgrade, no? That's amazing! Second, 
The blood of bulls and goats can never truly forgive sin. But when Jesus made a sacrifice for us, he did not make a sacrifice using the blood of bulls and goats. He sacrificed himself. And when that happened, all of our sin and evil was covered once and for all. Because a bull and a goat cannot pay the price for human sin and evil, but a human can. Jesus was the substitute who died in our place to satisfy the justice of God. And because Jesus truly covers sin once and for all, his sacrifice doesn't need to be repeated every year like the Day of Atonement was. It doesn't need to happen every year. It doesn't have to happen ever again because he is the true solution to the problem. And Jesus, after he died, he came back to life. He will never die again, which means he remains our perfect priest and our perfect sacrifice forever. We never need to worry about a broken or inadequate priest standing before God on our behalf. Isn't that great news? And the biggest issue with the Day of Atonement, Jesus dealt with that too. Remember, remember who could access God on the original Day of Atonement? One person, one day per year. He would walk behind this curtain that blocked the whole world from God's presence. And even when he came, he had to be extra careful because his life was in danger. He had to bring blood to cover his sins and the sins of the people. And he had to bring fire and incense. You know why he had to bring fire and incense? So that it would make smoke. Because God's presence dwelled in this room. And if he saw God's presence, he would die. And so the smoke made the room stuffy so he couldn't see in there. So that he could be in the room with God's presence, but not see God's presence. And so not die. But when Jesus died, you know what happened? So good. When Jesus died, that curtain that the priest walked behind on the Day of Atonement was ripped in two from top to bottom. There's no more curtain. Through the death of Jesus, everyone who believes in him is given free and full access to God anytime we want it. Is that not the greatest news possible? Do you realize what this means? It means you and I can come into God's presence any time. We can come to him with our hopes and fears. We can come to him confessing the sin and evil in our hearts, and we can come with confidence. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Let me, let me just flip here and read it to you because this is amazing. Hebrews 4, 16. It tells us, Let us with confidence, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Because of Jesus' sacrifice for us, we can come directly into God's presence with confidence, not fear, confidence. Full and free access to God's presence is one of the greatest gifts available to us through the work of Jesus on the cross. And we exercise this access today through prayer. See, what Aaron and the other high priests could only do once per year, come into the presence of God, you and I can do any time. And one of the greatest tests for how well we understand and appreciate the cross and this truth in our lives today is our prayer lives. I mean, this connects back to what we were talking about at the start of our time together today, because to the extent that I understand that all the deepest desires of my heart are meant to be fulfilled in God, I'm going to make use of that gift of prayer. And to the extent that I understand this gift, I'm going to have a rich and vibrant and deep prayer life. And to the extent that I don't get it, I'm going to continue seeking all these things in the wrong places. I'm going to continue spilling the evil in my heart into the world around me. 
I mean, here's an example of what this looks like in practice. This Friday, we got the news about the variant COVID case in Caribbean coast. And if I'm being honest, when the news first broke, I wasn't too worried about it until I saw how it was throwing the whole neighborhood into chaos and more specifically how that chaos would affect our ability to meet in person as a church in the coming weeks. And then I started to freak out. And why? Well, it's because my heart longs for control. My heart longs for stability and security that I'm supposed to find in God. But in that moment, I wasn't resting in God for those things. I was resting in myself and any semblance of control I thought I had was yanked out away from me in an instant. Because guess what? I can't control what's happening in the neighborhood. I can't control our ability to meet in person as a church. I can't control whether or not my family catches COVID or is sent to three-week quarantine. I can't control whether I'm able to join in person for the birth of my son. And for a control freak like me, that's one of the worst types of scenarios possible. And I realized how out of control I was and my gut reaction was for my heart to start lashing out, looking for ways to regain control. And so here's what I wanted to do. I wanted to use my words to manipulate the people at the YMCA into letting us continue to meet there in the coming couple weeks. Not that that would have worked, but in my heart I wanted to try it because I thought it would just give me back control. And I realized, of course, that won't work. And so then I was tempted to just walk away from work for the day because it felt like no matter how hard I try, my work's not going to make a difference. It's not going to fix what's going on here. So why bother even trying? I was tempted to retake control by just choosing to walk away. And I was feeling overwhelmed with stress and anxiety and fear. And why was I freaking out so bad? Because I forgot the truth of God's word. I forgot that I have free and full access to God through the death of Jesus. And so rather than trusting in his goodness and relying on the fact that he's in control and praying, I lashed out. And fear and stress and anxiety, like realize they happen in life, they're not always bad. But anytime we find ourselves becoming overwhelmed with fear and stress and anxiety, like I was on Friday, it's because we failed to properly understand and apply the truth that through Jesus, the evil in our hearts is paid for and we have free and full access to God. We're failing to believe and apply the truth of the gospel. Because Jesus' fulfillment of what the Day of Atonement ceremony is pointing to it tells us we can have confidence as we come before God. We can know that he's our good father who cares for us and provides for us. And yeah, we still mess up daily, but through the cross and its power, God is working in those of us who trust in him. He's working to free us from the evil in our lives and in our world. And he's working to draw us back to himself so that we seek him rather than other things for the deepest desires of our hearts to be fulfilled. Like, do you realize if you crave approval and affirmation and you have trusted in Jesus, you are a dearly loved child of God. You have your father's full love and affirmation and approval, even if the people around you don't approve of you. If you're like me and you crave control and security, if you've trusted in Jesus, your future is secure. God will never leave you or forsake you. He'll never let you go no matter what circumstances you face in life. That's the truth my heart needed to hear on Friday. And it wasn't until I stopped and I prayed and sought God about the situation that he finally just spoke this truth to me in a really tangible way. You know, if, if you crave comfort, 
If you've trusted in Jesus, you have the ultimate comfort coming to you, eternity of blessing in God's presence, no matter how uncomfortable your circumstances are right now. I realize it's still tough today. Trust me, I'm a control freak who's freaking out about losing control in the midst of this situation. It's still tough today, but I can tell you God's promise is secure. You are already free from sin's penalty. God is at work in you to free you from the power of sin and evil in your life more and more each day. And one day he's going to take you away from his presence to a place where you will no longer be impacted by it or tempted by it. And you will no longer hurt others through the ways you misuse the desires of your heart and spill your evil out into the world. So church, the Day of Atonement, it's not some archaic ceremony that has nothing to do with our lives today. It's a deeply, deeply personal connection point where a loving God steps in to overcome the evil of broken humanity and to invite us back into his presence. And yeah, the original ceremony, its power was quite limited, but through Jesus, we now have access to all the blessings that this ceremony was pointing towards. And one of the greatest blessings that gives us is the ability to come to our Father in prayer with confidence anytime. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of Jesus that gives us access to your presence again. We confess that our hearts, the line of good and evil, it runs right down the middle of them. And we let that evil spill out and hurt the the people around us and the world around us every single day. God, forgive us. We thank you that you've made a way for us to be forgiven and washed clean through the blood of Jesus. Thank you that through his blood we we have access to you, that we can come to you with confidence. I pray that we would do that each day, that we would respond to you with trust and love and confident prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.